Welcome to the RSP cast, Theory and Film, Film and Theory, Chocolate and Peanut Butter, however you want to look at it, Adam Hartstead, Matt Waldman. Um, today, I think we're going to do a, a briefer show, talk a little bit about Jonathan Taylor and kind of the impact on fantasy and, and maybe the uh, impact it's having on fantasy GMs that maybe it shouldn't. Um, and then also just how we view practice squad players. You know, there are a lot of players who've been cut. Some of them, people were touting as sleepers. I know that there are a lot of people who feel like a guy like Daenerys Prince at at Kansas City, that there were that there was talk in camp that this is a guy that they felt like could could fill in if Isaiah Pacheco got hurt and could, you know, start. And so a lot of people had him as like a waiver wire darling. He what I liked him, but he wasn't really one of my, my favorites um, as a player. But, you know, players like him still may have value down the line. So we'll talk about that, too. But let's start off with Jonathan Taylor, because that's really the headline here. You know, it looks like they're going to put him on the injured list. Miss, possibly will miss four games. At least that was the talk. You know, you have interviews now where Chris Ballard's getting asked questions. And he's saying, well, Andrew Luck didn't really have a stalled development because he didn't have a stud running back next to him. And... And then that's when all the pundits came out and kind of bashed him. I think my first thought on that was, um, well, I've never had to answer didn't, questions. I was about to say, didn't he? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Or I didn't have to answer questions to the media with my um, team owner, my erratic team owner, watching my every um, word. And I might have to agree with him if I want to keep my job and somehow uh, maybe try and you know, finesse my way on getting him to see manage upward. Let's just put it that way. I think there's a lot of managing upward with Chris Ballard in that situation. But what do you think about this whole Jonathan Taylor um, situation from a fantasy perspective? And what should fantasy GMs be keeping in mind? Yeah, I mean, I just got to say, uh, Andrew Luck and I actually have the exact same number of passing yards after our 30th birthday. So <laughs> congratulations. I think that's maybe you know... not exactly the example he wanted to be doing there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say, I'd say Ballard's got a lot on his mind and probably part of it is finding someone who can make, you know, Jim or maybe lose his phone. Oh yeah. I completely agree. I mean, I, I, I agree that a lot of Ballard's role you know, you have to agree with the boss publicly, and it's kind of an impossible situation. Yeah. And um, he did fairly good, given the circumstances. I mean, he there were times where he was not consistent, I think, in defending the position, but I don't think he was given a consistent position to defend. <laughs> right. So, you know, nothing you can do in that situation. Um, I So, yeah, I think the immediate fantasy fallout for Jonathan Taylor... He's definitely missing four games. That's guaranteed at this point. They didn't take him off the list. He's out for the first four games. Um, question becomes, what happens after that? Um, is this going to be like a Vincent Jackson with the Chargers scenario where it's an old-fashioned stare down? They're going to see who blinks first. Um, Jackson, I don't know if people remember. Um, and this is a pet peeve of mine. People will call Jackson a holdout. Jackson never held out. Jackson played out the entire terms of his rookie contract. Every letter in his contract played it out. And then after his rookie contract was over, the CBA expired. And in the year without the CBA, the rules around um, free agency changed. And Jackson was supposed to be a free agent, but 
because of this rule change, he did not actually hit free agency. So he was not free to negotiate with any team other than the Chargers. He didn't have a contract. And the Chargers came to him and said, hey, we're the only guys who can offer you a contract, so we're just going to offer this pathetic contract that's worth that everybody knows is worth way less than you are worth to our team. And Jackson said, okay, I'll just not sign that contract. I, I don't have a contract. I've honored the terms. You offer me a bad contract. I don't have to take it. You know, if a company comes to me and says, hey, we will um, pay you to write football articles for us. We'll pay you $3 an article. I'll just say, no, I'm just not going to do that. That's fine. I'm not holding out from that. I'm just yeah. not taking a bad contract. Um, but um, then the result was there's this stare down where Jackson needed, I believe it was six games to accrue another season to guarantee he'd be a free agent the next year. And so he held out until his six games came up and then he came in and was he giving a hundred percent effort in those six games? You know, I, I don't really want to get into other people's mental states. I don't know for sure. It sure to me did not look like he was, whether through rust or whatever, that he was giving the full effort. Um, if that happens to Jonathan Taylor this year, um, it's going to be a pretty catastrophic fantasy football pick. Um, he's going to play very few games and he's not really going to be he's going to be making a lot of business decisions in the games he does play. Yeah. So that would be the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is somebody blinks um, and Taylor comes back and either plays all 12 games at full effort in Indy or they get a trade done or something happens and you get 12 games of fully healthy, fully motivated Jonathan Taylor. Uh, if that happens, and I, I can't really say with relative odds, I mean, I don't want to discount either possibility. Both are very much in play. If that happens, then missing four games is not going to hurt Jonathan Taylor's total value this year. The first four games of the season are some of the least important fantasy games. Um, having him healthy and for the playoffs is really what matters for fantasy football. Um, if he misses four games and then comes back and is Jonathan Taylor of old, he probably loses about 10 to 15% of his fantasy value this season. It's not nothing, but it's not much. Um, but I, you know, I, it's very important that people with Jonathan Taylor on their rosters have open eyes and realize that this might be a complete zero this year. This might be another Le'Veon Bell situation where Le'Veon Bell was being drafted with the top three pick through the end of August and he played zero snaps. Um, I see a lot of, uh, you know, we talked, Dynasty is my first love in fantasy football. Um, and I see a lot of dynasty managers making a lot of really bad decisions right now. Um, which I, I feel like if you have Taylor on your roster, now is not the time to be making decisions because we just don't know. There, we don't have enough information. If you trade for another running back, you, you trade significant long-term future assets to kind of shore up this weakness. Um, and then Taylor comes back, you you know, you you spent this capital and that's gone and you're not really getting the benefit from it that you thought. Uh, so my inclination would be, and I say this as somebody who has Jonathan Taylor, I've got a, a dynasty roster that's a strong contender and I have Eckler and I have Taylor and behind them I have Rashad Penny, Jalen Warren, Jerome Ford, not a whole lot. Um, and for the next four weeks, I'm going to be starting Rashad Penny Jalen Warren, Jerome Ford, and it'll be fine. Um, maybe it costs me a game, although more likely than not, it's not even going to change the outcome of any one of the next four games. Because fantasy matchups typically are not so close that one player is going to swing them one way or the other. Um, so the most likely outcome is that my record after these next four weeks is the same as it would have been had Taylor been starting anyway. 
And four weeks from now, you're going to be in a much better position to make an informed decision. We're going to know, is Taylor going to play this year? Who's he going to play for this year? Um, and you can make a decision then. If you need running back help, get it then. Also, four weeks from now, there's a lot of teams who think everybody loves their roster in August. There's a lot of teams that are maybe not going to be loving their team quite so much at the end of September and are going to be starting to looking towards next year. And maybe someone like Aaron Jones is available a little bit cheaper four weeks from now. Um, so I think the right play in Dynasty is, is just to wait this out. Um, and if you're not going to wait it out, I think the big problem with trading Taylor is everybody's going to be worried about the fact that he plays zero games this year. And if that happens, it, it kind of makes Taylor like a future pick because he's going to give you zero production this year and have a lot of value starting in 2024. So you can't really trade him for future picks because, you know, he's the same thing as a future pick. It, it's the same reason why it's hard to trade future picks for future picks. People who are looking to move future picks want production in return. I don't know. It's a tricky situation. I see a lot of really bad moves. Um, for Taylor, I think the smart play is just wait it out. I think that I think that's absolutely the smart play, and I, I'm with you. I have Nick Chubb, Khalil Herbert, Jerome Ford, Keontae Ingram, Jaleel McLaughlin, Zach Evans, and Chris Brooks as a as a running back room for a team without Jonathan Taylor in the lineup. And I'm sure with Khalil Herbert and Nick Chubb, I'm going to be just fine. You know, and if I'm not, then there's more going wrong with my team, right. <laughs> you know, at that right. point than Jonathan Taylor being out. Um, That's the thing. People think that the, the path to winning in fantasy football is having the strongest weaknesses. Like they want the team that has like the best running back two. They want like the strongest wide receiver three. Um, but because of the way points are distributed, it's not the team with the strongest wide receiver three that wins. It's the team with the strongest wide receiver one. Yeah. Winning in fantasy is about having the strongest strengths, not having the strongest weaknesses. And Taylor, if he plays and is motivated this year, is a really strong strength. Yeah. And if you're trading away the possibility of 12 games of top five running back production for the certainty, and let's set aside that there's nothing certain in fantasy football, but the certainty of 16 games of running back 14 production that's not a trade that that I think benefits your chances of winning a title this year. No, and and this is something that we've talked about before with dynasty and trading is that before a draft, you don't want to really engage in trades before the draft, maybe during the draft, you know, or afterwards. You don't want to be trading away your picks before the draft. And this and I think you mentioned the same thing when we were talking about that at the, around the draft that you don't want to be doing you want to be trading picks before the season or trading picks and players before the season, unless it's such a, an a appealing offer that you're just kind of blinking your eyes and wondering if the person who's making this offer really understands what it is they're giving away. You know, I've, you, you know, or it's just such a fair deal that you, you know, you'd be making this in the season without any what ifs like on that same team. I think I got Jonathan Taylor for Russell Wilson, basically straight up. And I had Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes on my on my depth chart, and it could only start one quarterback. That's a no brainer. You're going to do that. Um, but you know, if you're giving away Jonathan Taylor now for you know for picks or whoever it is, maybe you're combining. You know, where was one I saw yesterday? I think it was you know getting two third round picks now, uh, a first round pick in 2025, and 
get and getting, you know, I think a, I don't remember what player it was, but you were giving up like Ramon, you were giving up Ramondre Stevenson um, now, and you're like a contender or something. It's like no, like or you're even if you're rebuilding, like you're so you're counting on your rebuild to start like in 2026 with getting a right pick. As opposed to like maybe in 2024, 2025 that you can start building like things like that, that people get. I think that the most predatory, even if it's not intended to be predatory, the most what tends to be the most predatory trades are just before the season starts and just before the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, people or like during the draft, you know, people get stars in their eyes. They've got they have to have somebody. Um, I talk about this with Sigmund Bloom, where Sigmund Bloom will get guys where he just gets sick in the head over. Yeah. And I always know when he gets that because it's one <laughs> of those like the offer comes and I'm like, uh, no, I don't really think. And then like another offer, 10% better comes. And once that happens, I know that I can say no like three more times and he's just going to keep sending better and better offers because <laughs> I know he's sick in the head. He's got he's decided that he has to have this player. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, people. I'm very much a value-based player where, um, with very few exceptions, there's nobody who I have to have who I can't have. And I'm not saying definitely don't trade Taylor. I saw one, a guy gave um, Taylor and Waller for Andrews, Rashad White, and a future first. Um, and I would have traded Taylor for Andrews a week ago. Sure. Uh, so the fact that, you know, like that's a trade that I, I think would have been a good trade even before this drama and regardless of, of how much it hurts, like there's no question that this drama hurts Jonathan Taylor's value some, because now before there was no real, it wasn't really on people's radar that maybe he misses the entire season. And now it's very firmly in the center of everybody's radar. Um, if you can get a good deal for Jonathan Taylor, absolutely do that. But people get scared about having to start a bad player in a lineup spot. And the reality is the difference between the 30th best wide receiver and the 60th best wide receiver or the you know the 18th best running back and the 36th best running back in fantasy football it's just not that much it's yeah. very very little like typically the difference between the number one and number three player at the position is going to be bigger than like a 30 spot drop later on um i would advise people to just lean into the discomfort okay so you're starting you have an ugly week one starting lineup your week one starting lineup is not the same as your yeah. week 17 starting lineup anyway. And I, this is, I track a lot of stuff. Typically I have about 50% turnover between my first lineup of the season and my last lineup of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, one of the things that I've all, all had heard over the years, especially when I'm drafting in industry leagues is I'll hear some people say, why, you know, I don't understand why you're, you know, picking, somebody will comment about another person's team and it could be mine it could be somebody else's um because i certainly tend to do it so maybe like i don't understand why you're like leaning so hard on picking rookie wide receivers after the 15th round like why don't you get a solid guy that people and and i think that's the point is that like it doesn't really matter after a certain point i would even say after about round 13 round 14 in a 20 league 20 team draft it doesn't matter you know i mean the, the same roster in this dynasty format i've dropped added a lot of players i mean i have an older receiving core this team is probably close to a rebuild because even though i have good running backs and quarterback i mean quarterbacks keenan allen adam thielen and michael thomas were the core of my re, are my receiving core right now marvin jones is still like hanging around because he bounces off and on my roster just as because my core is weak. 
and I didn't have many draft picks um, this time around. So I scrounged the waiver wire. I mean, my the rest of my receiving core right now is Kayshawn Boutte, Andre Yosivas, Rakeem Jarrett, who, you know, um, who else? Darnell, Darnell Mooney, I still have. Puka Nakua, Jaden Reed, Khalil Shakur. I mean, nobody there I really want to start. But they're all, you know, but they're all players that I look at and go, I'd rather have them and see who pops. If the, if any of them does, I may get two or three of them that do pop, and then I can keep rotating through. It's how I wound it up with Adam Thielen anyway. I mean, this is how you get some of these guys, and I think that you you, you kind of have to look at it and realize that yeah, the discomfort of it is is that players are going to get dropped. I'm going to end up adding a veteran probably who is worthwhile because somebody gets impatient and I have enough of a starting core that I can compete for at least the first two to three weeks and continue to grow from there. And I would challenge listeners too to look at weaknesses um, as an opportunity. Because uh, you think about two teams. One team has a running back averaging 20 points per game and a running back averaging 10 points per game. The other team has two running backs both averaging 15 points per game. You'd think, you know, both running back cores are scoring 30 points a game. They're comparably comparable in quality. But the reality is, in order for the first team to improve, he only needs to find a running back that averages 11 points per game. And all of a sudden, his team's better. Yeah. Whereas for the second team, if you have solid players everywhere but stars nowhere, that's kind of the worst place to be because it's so hard and expensive to improve because uh, now you need a 16-point-per-game running back to get better. Yeah, no, that's a terrific point with that. So let's let's talk about the other side of the rosters here because now we're – you know, we've had all the roster cuts, or at least most of the roster cuts in the past couple of days. Now the team, NFL teams are signing guys off, you know, back onto their rosters on their practice squads, or they're signing somebody else off, you know, who's been recently been cut. A good example of that is a Daenerys Prince that we mentioned, um, certainly going to another team. Miles Gaskin going to Minnesota is another good example of a player that, you know, when I look at this, the, the point that I want to make is, just because a guy gets cut doesn't mean you should write them off. In fact, they may wind up in a better opportunity. I would argue that Miles Gaskin suddenly becomes a player of to, to monitor, whereas he was an afterthought in Miami because he's, you know he was a he's a good solid player, kind of a you know I know you like the Miweldy Moore references, but he's kind of a he's kind of a Miweldy Moore type of player, not super fast, really smart, can do pretty much a little bit of everything that you need him to do to be on the field and be productive as long as your offensive line is delivering a, you know, to expectation. He's not a home run hitter, but he's going to get you, you know, he's going to get you those Deion Lewis types of gains in New England, maybe not to that level, but you know, along those lines. And Ty Chandler, a lot of people love Ty Chandler is like a a preseason darling, but I got to tell, I mean, just as someone who's watched Ty Chandler, he's a very good punt returner. He can catch the ball. I I don't know if I would look at him as, oh, well, he's got that job over Miles Gaskin. I would say Miles Gaskin may very well be the the running back too on that roster within about two weeks. Um, and could be the compliment to Alexander Madison and a, and one that ends up having flex play value. And so I think it's important to to kind of remember these players as they move around that just because 
they may not have an active roster position now. Later on, it could work out. A good example of it as well from the past, you know, you think about Daenerys Prince. Well, you know, another Kansas City Chief who ended up giving you running back one production down the stretch before they drafted Kareem Hunt was Spencer Ware. And Spencer Ware started on the practice squad after getting bumped off the Seahawks, catching on with the Giants, and then, or being on the Giants practice squad, and then ended up in Kansas City um, over like a two, three year period. He was, you know, so guys like that do appear, you know, Malik Davis. Malik Davis last year, even though he wasn't as big of a name, as big of a producer, people were talking about him this year and saying, oh, well, he's really going to be the, the compliment possible running back to, to Tony Pollard. Um, but you think about it and it's like, well, Rico Dowdle, it, Rico Dowdle's been sitting on, on that, that roster in Dallas for, I think, three years. And he was injured all three years. And the reason, the only reason Malik Davis got playing time was because Donald beat him out, but then got hurt and they needed to bring Davis back up. So it's, it's important. I think a lot of people do tend to write off these players and it's important to understand that if you saw something and you, and you feel like that that was legitimate and you're scratching your head as to why this guy isn't going to work out, um, you know, understand that that may not actually be the case. I mean, you know, I, you know, I will laugh, you know, that when it comes to, you know, somebody like Denzel Mims or Trey Sermon, because these are obviously guys who were favorites of mine that haven't panned out um, so far. But I look at their situations and they look, they had moments where they look good in camp or maybe look good in preseason and they got waived with an injury designation. So, that you know within four weeks and it's usually the injury when you get waived and you have an injury settlement if you get one within three to four weeks for most deals you're now available to get back out onto the market and be with the team and there are a number of guys that we you know that are gonna end up having a chance to contribute who got waived only because they're like well we need somebody you know we've got a full depth chart right now i'm not gonna you know, or we're thinking about making a trade and okay, now that he's banged up, that kind of puts a damper on what we wanted to do. Yeah, I like to manage the end of my roster. Um, I use a concept called urgency um, where I have like my last three roster spots and there's like 20 guys that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Um, and typically I like to use my roster spots on players where we're going to be getting new information soon. So, like, I look at the 20 names that I like that are interesting, um, and I think, you know, who's had changes? Like, wh whose situation has changed the most? And roster the guys where we're going to be getting new information, and then guys where we're not really going to be getting any new information for a while, um, you can leave them on the street. So an example is um, I'm a big Daniel Bellinger fan, and I have Daniel Bellinger on my roster in this big tight end premium league I'm in. Um, but we're probably not going to learn anything new about Daniel Bellinger in the next three weeks. There's not, other than a Darren Waller injury, which who knows, that could happen at any time, but I'm not predicting it. Other than a Darren Waller injury, I, I have a hard time seeing anything that Daniel Bellinger is going to do in the next three weeks that's going to change our opinion of Daniel Bellinger. But Rico Dowdle, um, who you just mentioned, I think quite possibly we could absolutely learn new things about within a week if the Cowboys open up 
and Pollard's in a 60-40 timeshare because the Cowboys are trying to keep him fresh and Dowdle's getting the 40, opinions on Dowdle are going to change a whole lot. So maybe I like Bellinger a little bit more than Dowdle in a vacuum um, as a player. If if my roster was going to lock today and that was going to be my roster until the end of the year, maybe I prefer Bellinger. But your roster doesn't lock today. So I, I just recently dropped Bellinger and added Dowdle. And in two weeks, maybe this looks good and Dowdle um, it has this big role and great. And maybe it doesn't look great and Dowdle's losing to Deuce Vaughn. Great. Cut Dowdle and, and move that roster spot to somebody else whose situation has changed. Miles Gaskin gets traded. Okay, his situation has changed. It's time to move Miles Gaskin from our interesting name to monitor list to guy to hold on the end of the roster just in case something happens. And and if you if you manage it like this, it's almost like those three roster spots are like 20 roster spots because you're holding 20 players over the course of the year during the time we're learning new information about them um, rather than just like passively holding names that maybe you like a little bit more. So my goal with the end of the roster isn't to like get the best players possible. It's to maximize the new information that comes out about my players while they're on my team. Um, and, and to that extent, having a list of names of players who are intriguing for whatever reason is, is extraordinarily helpful. And the other thing to remember is you don't need a reason not to like somebody at the end of your roster. Like the expectation for everybody near the end of your roster is they're probably bad. They're, they're probably not going to be at all useful for you for fantasy. So you don't need to find flaws in their profile. Their profile sucks. That's why they're at the end of your roster and not like at the top of your roster. I just look for one reason to like them, right? Is there one thing that I see in this player that leads me to believe he could dramatically outperform expectations? You know, Miles Gaskin had a really strong season two years ago, and he can catch the football, and we've seen him be a top 20 fantasy running back. That's a good reason to like or to at least be interested in Miles Gaskin. Um, you know, somebody like Justin Ross. Like, there's lots of reasons not to like Justin Ross. But also, he was a phenomenal talent at Clemson. That's there's one good reason to like him. Um, so I don't know. I, yeah, and a good I, example. I completely of, agree. Yeah, a good example. Yeah, I completely of that. agree. Don't don't write somebody off just because he's been cut or moved to a practice squad because there's already reasons not to like a guy. You just need one reason to like him. Yeah, and in Ross's case, I mean, they the coaches just came out today and said Ross and Rice are going to get package plays with the goal of them becoming full time starting wide receivers at seasons end. Well, maybe that's every wide receiver's goal at season's end but still you know the fact that they're getting package plays that tells you that they do want to involve them in the offense and and, and have higher expectations moving forward not as a, as a case of like yeah well he's he's a good player and and we rely on him as depth meaning no we're or not special using teams, him right Spe yeah exactly so Let's end this on this note. I, I, I know we didn't really talk about this, but I'm kind of interested on your thoughts on the Football Guy subscriber contest. Um, do, you, are, do you play in the subscriber contest? Um, oh, I love it. You, yeah. you love it? So you, I've been good. for like 20 years. Yeah, so me too. So I'm just curious, what are some of the strategies that you like to employ and what are you employing this year? And if you want to share your team, great. If you don't, fine too you, you know it's you know totally up to you but i i would love to get your thoughts on it because i've certainly just i think i've made my third or fourth pass looking at this bracket and decided i think i'm getting close to locking in what i've got um yeah i haven't even looked at it yet uh one of the biggest high value strategies is is do it as late as possible because um, yeah. again it's all about maximizing information 
Um, and in past years, like typically there was a situation where like a starting running back got hurt late, like in September, or somebody who we expected to get starting was like cut. And all of a sudden there's like a cheap backup who's now going to be an 18 touch a week running back who's available for like a $6 salary. Um, and, and basically getting that guy is like a free square to get through the first, you know, six, seven, eight rounds of the contest. Um, there are people who go like crazy deep into the strategy. If you're on football guys, shark pool, I haven't checked this year, but I'm assuming cause every year there's a thread where people are like diving into the mechanics of like, is it better to have a small roster with like a bunch of stars or a big roster? And they're looking at like past performance. Oh, you know, like last year. Um, teams with the maximum number of players had a 32% advance rate and teams with the minimum number of players had like a 17% advance rate. And um, for me, it's not, I, I will drive myself crazy if I try to go that much into it. So my usual strategy is I set a reminder for a day or two before the season. And then I go in and I look at who do I think is going to give me the most touches per dollar. Um, you know, if there's any running back, like I start at the bottom of the list and I scroll up until I find the first name that I think is going to be like a 15 touch a game guy. Um, and I repeat, I usually try to get as many names as possible. Um, I prefer having big squads than small squads because it gives me um, a little bit of psychological comfort, although I don't know that that's necessarily optimal. I think it's good to have um, some studs. And so I will fill out like the cheapest lineup possible that I'm that I'm happy with and then once that's done I'll start thinking okay now now that I have like my baseline who do I want this year who do I want to place a big bet on okay now how do I afford this guy who which of these checks do I uncheck to get that guy on my team and then I just kind of iterate like that for about an hour until I've got a bunch of names I'm happy with um Strategy wise, I know that late buys are really bad because the cuts get harder the further on. So you want to strategy wise, although um, the pricing has gotten so sharp over the last 20 years, you don't see as many. A lot of times backups will be priced. Um, what would they be worth if the starter goes down just to prevent that situation where the starter goes down and you can get a starting running back for six bucks. Um, and then late buys are priced pretty well. Like guys with, with early buys tend to be more expensive than guys with late buys. Um, yeah, I, I feel like there's fewer inefficiencies than there were 20 years ago. So I, I tend not to overthink it as much. I don't think the, the return on investment for additional time, um, but it's a really fun contest. And I, I love throwing a lineup in and just tracking it every year. Um, and, and, um, it's fun cause you're never out of it till you're out of it. Yeah. Um, so I would recommend anybody who's a Football Guy subscriber, entry is completely free. Uh, first place is, I don't even know how much, like $20,000 is the first place prize. So there's really no reason not to enter. And and a shockingly small percentage of subscribers actually enter. It's like 10 or 20%, um, which is insane to me. We get some people who say every year, like, this is the reason I subscribe. Basically, yeah. I view my subscription as, you know, like a $30 entry into a GPP or something. Uh, and then everything else after that is gravy because it's it's fun and it was really one of the original um, kind of like best ball DFS style contests. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I'm laughing because like I I have very similar approach to you. Like I'll just I start a little bit earlier and then I just keep tweaking it until the very last. And and oftentimes it'll change dramatically due to news like late late in the in the summer before the season starts. But like. 
I tend to I tend to fill out the cheapest lineup I possibly can, and then I start and go, okay, who are my guys that I re- like? You said really want to place my bets on, kind of my must-haves if I can, you know, if I can manage it. And part of that too is usually also looking at where are players that I just think are exceptionals could provide exceptional circumstances to what certain rules are. So, and then combine that with, well, who are the, you know, like for instance, I try to, I try to go the maximum. I try to go close to the maximum 28 to 30 players uh, if I can. And then I whittle it down from there. And, and I'm usually somewhere between 25 and 30. Um, Maybe, maybe a little less some years, but right now, like for instance, you know, for defenses, I try to get at least three defenses and three kickers because somebody's likely to go off and have a big, big week. If I just focus on like, I, I look at getting the Eagles or the 49ers or the Bills or the Cowboys, and it's like they may have three or four big weeks, but if I have three or four defenses, I don't know if I want to go four, but you know, if I have three defenses and they're cheap and, and they can have one or two of them have a big week every week. I feel like that that's a little bit of a better thing in theory. But I, I look for teams that I feel like can run the football at the end of the game, that have good offensive lines, that can provide, um, and then whether the defense itself has, you know, quality quality units. And I think, like, for instance, for me, like the Lions at $3, the defense got a lot better last year. Um after a certain point, you know, John Norton's talked a fair bit about that. What I remember from them is how bad, how bad their secondary was and how banged up it was. But, you know, I think about that and go for three bucks in a division where they have Jordan Love um, and, you know, Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields, but still two younger quarterbacks. Um, I'm, I'll take it. I'll take a bet on three bucks on something like that. Whereas like I look at the Browns and, know that they've got um Mauro Tremblay's former teammate um who I can't remember his name the defensive longtime defensive coordinator who Schwartz Schwartz yeah Jim Schwartz so Jim Schwartz was apparently a I want to say he was a wide receiver with no Mauro was a wide receiver Jim Schwartz played linebacker I think that's what it was but uh but uh the Browns with Jim Schwartz I think they're going to be more aggressive we're going to see Grant Delpit probably have an incredible year um, and so for five bucks, why not with a team that can rush the passer was the Darius Smith um, opposite, you know, Miles Garrett. Yeah, I could, I'll take that with the Kenny Pickett division, you know, and Burrow being a little bit banged up here and there and the line maybe having some questions. I'll, I'll, I'll take a chance on the Browns, you know, in that case. You know, so it's things like that. But like for me, if I'm going to look at a possible exception to the rule for, say, it might be like tight end. You know, everybody talks about late round tight end. So, of course, everybody's going to be taking guys. And I could see like the the Josh um, Norris type of thought, you know, that he's talked a lot about is like he's probably been touting guys like Jake Ferguson, who's a $6 play. Or, um, you, you know, you could look at guys like that. And But for me, it's like I can get Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta for 19 bucks and Travis Kelsey's worth 35. Um, I, I feel like that might not be a bad way to go this year, you know, something like that. And then I can add in like a Tyler Conklin who 
Aaron Rodgers, you know, can he re, can they kind of redo that thing with, um, you know, Robert Tunyon? And I think that's a very much a possibility when you look at somebody like Aaron Rodgers and think, okay, Garrett Wilson is the one matchup player on in the passing offense who can beat one-on-one coverage. After that, you have Nicole Hardman, who's basically a you manufacture touches for him. You've got um, Alan Lazard, who is still a, a high-end manufactured touch player. He's good, but he's someone that oftentimes you stick him in the slot and disguise him, and he's not winning a lot of one-on-one plays outside of the red zone. Um, so is there another guy that you can match up one-on-one on that offense? And actually, that answer is Tyler Conklin. He's good at that. He's actually a good detached player. And Ro- and Rodgers is going to want to target guys in certain situations for big plays that can win one-on-one. So so certainly Conklin is a guy that I wouldn't mind taking a bet on that. And then the rest, it's like, yeah, like, I, I you know, without going too far into it, I'll just say, to me, like, my, I look at guys who I think can provide wide receiver, running back, QB one type of production at the cheapest cost. And to me, those guys are like Tyler Lockett, JK Dobbins and Derek Carr. You, you know, I, I look at those and I go, okay, if, and they're, they're all guys that like the highest price player in this contest for the quarterback is 25. Josh Allen. I'm taking Derek Carr at 11, you know, or JK Dobbins is at $21. Austin Eckler's a $34 price. Um, you know, Lockett's my top receiver at 19. Justin Jefferson's 37 bucks, you know, Kincaid at 10, Kelsey at 35, you know, so, but the only issue with that, you know, now of course is, you know, I end up with players that can I continue to find margins where I can come off of a player like Deuce Vaughn at $5. Do I take a Deuce Vaughn at $5 who I think will see the field, but would I rather spend six on Kareem Hunt who will most likely get signed and see the field a lot more or a guy like Zach, or if I can't afford him, do I take Vaughn who's going to get points or do I take Zach Evans who, if he sees the field, will probably see a lot more of it than Vaughn, you know, things like that. I will say the one thing about defenses is they are the only players that are not going to get injured and not going to lose their job. Um, And that's, a big thing in the subscriber contest is a a lot of it is attrition. Like sometimes you have, you see good teams that are doing really good and then their kicker gets hurt at mid season and they're taking zeros some weeks at kicker because, you know, there are other kickers on by or they're they're, I I would rather do three kickers and two defenses because the defenses are guaranteed points They're No matter what you're getting points out of them on the weeks that they're scheduled to play. Maybe not as many points as you would have liked, but you're never, ever taking a zero there. Um, whereas with kickers, that's absolutely a possibility. Um, you know, a quarterback, you get Derek Carr. Great. That's awesome. I think he's a good value in terms of, like, one of the cheapest players where you expect to get 17 starts out of. But quarterbacks get injured sometimes. And if you're counting on Derek Carr to be the anchor, and then you get some upside guys who can hopefully peak higher than Derek Carr, like you have Derek Carr as a baseline, and then some upside beyond that, and then Derek Carr gets hurt, you know, you're now all of a sudden your baseline's down to zero. So I typically just carry the two defenses. Um, But I get that they're cheap and it's enticing. And I've definitely seen 
the appeal. Um, but I think in the past I've learned that I'd rather, even if it's just an extra three bucks, um, I feel like I can get more value out of that three bucks elsewhere. Sure. No, that makes, that makes sense. You know, so yeah, fun stuff. And certainly, you know, we hope that you definitely check out the subscriber contest at football guys. Absolutely worthwhile. Um, you know, in addition, you know, you get some content for some, some, from some pretty good minds out there in the fantasy space, like Adam Harstead, Sigmund Bloom, and Jeff Bell, and, you know, Dave Kluge, John Norton, um, you know, we got a whole new IDP stat, a whole, we relatively new IDP staff. Remember, I, I'm still thinking about Gene and, and Aaron Rudnicki, who are still fantastic, and, you know, but like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about those guys, but we've got a lot of good guys on this IDP staff, and, and in the Dynasty space, Christian Williams, you know, Coleman, you know, a lot of good folks, so check them out. And uh, you even you might even find someone who's written about 600 columns of the same damn thing for 20 years here and there. You can find that guy at Matt Waldman. You can find this guy over here at Adam Harstead um, on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call. You can call it Bozo for all I care. As long as you log on and and enjoy the content and like doing it, then go go treat yourself. If not, you know we're also elsewhere. Thanks again. Have a good week.